it's free, but if you don't wear glasses, you're not you're not welcome. Uh, so anyway, the WWDC announcement went up today, so we're lucky that we're recording this afternoon. And uh, the the theme of the invitations it's it's a, a slew of widely diverse Memoji characters uh, looking at uh, opening a creepily you know not not creepily you know. Craigly. That's the wrong word. Craigly. Craigly, <laughs> Craigly o- opening a MacBook and having uh, various icons from the MacBook screen reflected in their glasses. If you could only find someone to love you the way Craig loves that M1 yeah. Mac, you do well in life. <laughs> I. It's that's such a fun. There. That that was. They knew what they were doing when they did yes. that, right? It's not like they were surprised by the reaction. And there is, you know, from my interactions with Craig Federighi, you know, like, uh, you know, he's done my show a couple times, and I've gotten to talk to him backstage. He is. He's the guy you think he is. Like that is yep. him. You know. Yeah. Um, so that's a fun little callback for the invitation. But of course, people are going bananas thinking. That the fact that they're all wearing glasses and that you see bits of software reflected in the glasses is that it's a hint that the AR glasses announcement might be coming at WWDC. To which I say, maybe, but I, <laughs> I, I wouldn't. I wouldn't bet on it. What do you think? I was more surprised and excited that it was Mac front and center in the invitation. Yeah, I like that too. I totally dug that. I thought that too. There was it 2010. There wasn't even any Mac at WWDC. One of those years, people yeah, were, there was already getting little tiny coffins ready. There was a year of the go-go yeah. iOS era, which again, you know, people read into that and thought, well, this is a sure sign that the Mac is going away. But it was really just a reaction to the uh, the crazy uh, gold rush era yeah. of iOS developers storming into the Apple platform. Yeah. I don't know. What do this you think year, about no the invitations? Panicking. This year, no one's panicking that there's no iPhone <laughs> in the invitation. Yeah, right. Nobody's nobody's reading into this that the iPhone is going away. Yeah, though I, I always like these because well, you and I, we, you know, we, we we know people who've been on or are on Apple's graphic design team, and they just get given a brief. They're not given any context, any background. They're just like, it would be great if it looked like. Um, Boca, you know, Boca lights. It'd be great if it looked like this, and they just go off and make it, and then they watch everyone talk about it on Twitter and laugh and drink and, and celebrate <laughs> all this smart and dumb stuff that we say. So this is just you make. They probably just were told, you know, that the way Craig looked at that MacBook, that but with a diverse range of of emoji. Right. Did you notice that one of the emoji? He is a, a fellow. I don't. Maybe there's more than one, but the you know, I don't know how many there are. But there's one where the fellow's wearing a, a hearing aid. I mean, like you know, just as a, yeah. a, a a nice to me elevation of accessibility stuff to being front and center on their list of of diverse adjectives. You know, to to include in the characters. Yeah, it's a smart nod too. And the WWDC Swift Scholarship has the same, uh, I believe it's the same person, but like a younger version with a graduate mm. cap on to signify students, which is nice. Yeah. Uh, so what do you think? you think glasses are coming? I mean, they got to be coming eventually, whether they're coming right. this year or not. Uh, I, I still feel like 
something that could be an acceptable glasses product. It's a little early, even if we assume that they're introducing frameworks at WWDC that will give them a six month or a, or a one year lead time before there's an actual product, or if there's a developer specific hardware test the way they've been, you know, like the the Mac developer kit for for the M1 processor, even if there's something like that, it still feels really early to me. So I wonder if it's just, hey, we want to show a little bit of software in this. We could do reflections and glasses. Yeah. And it, it like I, I wrote in my little write-up on Daring Fireball, like there's also, there's no way that Apple didn't realize that people would read into this. Yeah. I think the most likely explanation is they wanted to play off the Federighi thing from the M1 announcement. Um the brief was that if some of the characters are wearing glasses, they should all wear glasses because that's sort of the the part of the if the, if somebody if some of the characters weren't wearing glasses, you wouldn't see the screen reflection. Yeah, and having those icons in the reflected lenses is like that's the art direction. Uh, and the fact that people might read into it because uh, Apple's AR VR efforts are probably at the top of the list of anticipated products that they might, you know, are apparently rumored to be working on. So be it, you know, because there's no harm done. And it's not like, oh, if WWDC's keynote comes to pass and there's no mention of it's any kind of glasses or goggles, it's not like, you know, you could say that Apple ripped us off, right? They just had characters wearing glasses. It's sort of a free way to tease us if it's just a teaser. And they keep doing it. That's the thing is like, I wonder if this is a, an elaborate troll at some point, because when there was the September event and they had that AR logo that would morph and change, everyone was sure that AR would be the big focus in September. And then previous to that, there was one of the characters was wearing glasses in the WWC artwork. And then Phil Schiller's Memoji got glasses and they were sure that that was a sign right. that we were going to be getting the Apple. I think we just, we just want to see it so much that we lay it on anything and Apple's smart to sort of lean into it. Right. It might be. It, it Honestly, I, I, I wouldn't put this past them. Like, like the rumors are twofold, you know, and it makes sense because they're very different products. There's the rumor of VR goggles that like cover your screen like RoboCop, you know, and you're looking at a screen or two screens, really one per eye. Like one of the rumors is that there's two 8K displays, one for each eye. And then a camera on the outside would show reality. So you'd be, it's like you're wearing a camera on your eyes. And then the other product would be the AR glasses where you're just wearing see-through glasses. Like if the battery was out, you'd still be able to see through them. They look like, you know, regular prescription eyeglasses, but somehow project an image onto the lenses. Um, Google glasses. Remember those? Yes. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Google glasses were sort of along those lines. I think that they had a screen that pro- you, you could actually see the little screen and it only projected yes. it onto the one lens. It was like um, the Borg. It was like that little Borg, cutest <laughs> right. Borg thing in front of your face. Right. And according to the rumor mill, and I, this is why I wanted you on the show this week. This is like, this is, this is the rumor episode of the talk show. <laughs> uh, according to the rumor mill, the VR product is closer to shipping than the AR product, which would be like you would just go get prescription glasses and have a magical heads-up display in front of you, 
and, and interaction model. And th- that makes sense, but that that is true, right? Like the rumor mill is sort of like maybe the VR thing is a 2022 thing and the AR thing is maybe a 2023 thing. Yeah. Yeah. And it makes sense to me, like the having both those products. And I, I think, it, I don't mean that it's happenstantial that they're both under, you know, Dan Riccio now, they're both in the same special projects group. But I think it's it's two products, like really two focuses. The VR headset sounds like a next generation Apple TV. You know, Apple's never going to make a television set. There's no margin in it. There's no update, really good update path in it. But a VR headset could take all the entertainment, all the gaming, all the fitness plus stuff, just all the content that Apple's working on and turn it into a device that each person has to buy their own basically at a really high premium, perfect Apple product. And then the glasses sound like a next generation Apple watch where it's wearable, it's tricked out, like it's even more convenient. You don't even have to lift your wrist anymore. The notifications, the sensors are all just built right in front of your face. And that sort of takes the Apple watch into the future. And both those things make a lot of sense to me as distinct things, not like a holdover between one and the other. Right. So given that loose timeline, and it makes sense that, that the AR product would be further ahead, harder to make, right? Like the, this VR product is more or less an iPhone in front of your face. And, you know, a little different. It can have like vents and a fan and can run an M1 style (laughs) processor, like all those things. <laughs> no vents, no fan, but you know. Well, no, I'm sure they're going to. I think if they want the amount of, because remember that the, the rumor was they're oh. going to have a separate box, and Johnny kiboshed that. So they're going to put all that compute power in. They need something as big as a VR headset to put all that compute power in. You really think that you really you were serious? I thought you were making a joke. I don't think there'll be any vents or fan. There's no vents. Well, or I don't fan mean fan, but like sort of like what they're doing with the Mac. It's like I can't yeah. hear what they're doing with the M1 MacBook Pro, but it's better yeah. than no cooling. Yeah, if the if the if but if the MacBook Air doesn't need a fan, uh, there's I I can't help but believe that they're working on a. That was one that, of the rumors. So like I would I would rather not have it either. But that was listed like high up in the information's rumors. Yeah, I don't know. I and I thought that I always thought that rumor with back when Johnny was there. I, I just didn't the idea that they'd be it would be tethered to a box at all just seems like a non-starter. I, I that I never I, I never believed that. I, I think the product has to be completely untethered. Same. Um, but anyway, my to to go with what I'm thinking in my Kremlinology aspect of looking into these WWDC announcements and maybe even the little subtle things like Phil Schiller's memoji getting glasses uh, over the is that they're just subtly making hey you every it's cool to wear eyeglasses all the time. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. I, I that's that's boiling you know, water. <laughs> you know yeah i even think emoji are like that like just getting people used to having an ar presence like because it's not going to be comfortable for a lot of people but if they get us in there with the iphone the ipad early they get us to make our fun little emoji characters so we're used to seeing avatars of ourselves in an ar world i think all of this stuff is really smart pre-marketing for those products i mean that's the thing about the ar glasses right it's like before the apple watch a lot of people Commonly, very common. I, I hear it now, but a little bit less so. But a lot of people are like, I don't wear a watch. So I don't, you know, and, and you know, watch. I don't know what the percentage of adults wearing wristwatches was pre-Apple Watch. Um, but it's certainly, I, I would wager with certainty that it, it skewed lower as a percentage as you go lower in age brackets, that the younger people are, the less likely they were to regularly wear a wristwatch. 
Um, and it, you know, it makes a ton of sense. And the most common explanation is why would I wear a watch? I have a phone with me. If I ever need to check the time, I look at my phone and it's sort of like the phone as the return of the pocket watch. Yeah. It makes sense. Um, but the pitch for, okay, you, you know, the pitch for you, you always wore a watch and now we want you to wear an Apple watch is easier, I think, than you never wore a watch and now we want you to wear an Apple watch. But even so, it it's like asking you to overcome the, well, I'm not used to having a thing that I, you know, can feel on my wrist and it weighs, you know, it feels weird because I never wear a watch. But it doesn't really affect the way you look. Whereas if you have perfectly good vision or you wear contact lenses, uh, asking you to spend all day wearing glasses is a big ask. I mean, we don't know anything about this product. I realize this is two years out, but it is, it, it's a weird thing and it affects the way people look significantly. People look different wearing glasses and they might not want to do it. And I can say as somebody who spent 40 some years wearing contact lenses and the last two or three years full-time wearing glasses, wearing glasses sucks. Yes. <laughs> yeah, no, same. And, and the other thing that's sort of uh, what's so inopportune about this is people do wear sunglasses. Famously, people love to wear sunglasses. Right. People with perfect vision wear sunglasses a lot, but it sounds like the technology to make it work on sunglasses right. is harder than to make it work on clear glasses. Right. And so, like, I, you know, again, it's, it's, it's a real sci fi sounding product at this point, but it's like, you know, let's say you do get it. You're like, I, well, I do wear glasses, so I'll just switch to wearing Apple glasses. Um, and the heads-up information it proves to be extremely useful and addictive. And you're like, oh, I, I can't imagine going back to not wearing Apple glasses. But then you're going out in the sunshine and, and you have to swap yeah. them for other glasses yeah. and you miss. Now you don't have a glass. I don't know. I, I don't know what the solution is. And it's, I realize it's years away, but, you know. I feel like it's got to be solved, and I don't know that there it's ever going to work to get those. What do they call them? The the not progressive, yeah, transitions, which yeah. always look weird to me when people come in from the sunshine and it looks like yes. they're, you know, trying to look cool wearing sunglasses. And you know, but maybe you know, maybe that's one of those things where Apple can surprise us with their engineering expertise in a materials field outside, you know, computer. I don't know. And then I think Guoming Chi said that they're going to they're trying to make it into contact lenses for like 2030 or something. Yeah, that seems pretty far out. But, you know, again, it's, you know, it's we've seen it in sci-fi movies for years, so surely it's coming because everything always comes true. Yeah, well, so, I mean, one day we'll do Old Man Gruber's talk show and talk about Apple cybernetics. I mean, everything's yeah. coming. <laughs> <laughs> Which implant series did you get? Oh, a 2.0 implant was so much better. I should have waited. The other thing, the thing about Apple invitations, I always feel like there's more to read into the slogans than the artwork. Yeah. Like, so they had the Time Flies event last September, and I thought, well, that means this the headliner of this event is going to be the watch. Yeah. And then other people had these complicated explanations for how, no, 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 that actually means it, the iPhones are coming in September. Yeah. I was like, no, Time Flies really sounds like the watch to me. <laughs> yeah, it's either the watch or flight, and I'm pretty sure they don't have flight. Uh, what was another good one? I think 
there's something in the air. Remember that yeah. one? Yeah. And and it was at I think it was at a WWDC. Maybe it was a MacWorld. But I remember the banners were hanging in Moscone, and it was one of those years where the banners were photographed by long yes. lens sharpshooters from across the street in advance. And I that I, if I'm recalling correctly, there's something in the air was just that was going to be the MacBook Air. And yeah. that was the year that Steve Jobs famously took it out of a manila envelope. And uh, But I remember there were people who thought it meant that they had a partnership with Adobe to make Adobe Air, like a new developer <laughs> platform. And it's like, no, no, that that yeah. they're, they're not going to... <laughs> They, they, they've been swimming against the tide in all things developer-related to own the full stack. They're not yes. going to... And it was like Adobe yeah. Air doesn't seem like it's going anywhere. Occam's Razor, I think, is not often applied under, when right. it comes to Apple invitations. Right. There's no slogan for this. It's just WWDC 21. Uh, the dates... Well, there's gen- the glow, right? Is, is the glow a slogan? I don't think so. Is it? Hmm. I mean... The, the, it's it's such a weird slogan. Um, what is it again? Glow. Oh, there is a slogan. Um, yeah, it's on the developer. Glow and behold. Oh, oh, I didn't see that. If you go to developer.apple.com/slash/wwdc21, the, hmm. the the Craig book opens, and then it just says "Glow and behold" oh, with a see? period, which is millennials are going to read as hostile. Oh, they need to get over that. <laughs> Uh, I've got my son trained. He knows the I end my text with a period. It doesn't mean anything. Uh, yeah. I'm gonna I'm gonna say that that means nothing, and that it's just a play on the art direction, and that maybe it's like they have a, a, a they because they don't want to hint at anything specific. They're just gonna play off the gimmick of the Craig Federighi style, yeah. lo and behold, and that there's not there is nothing to read into it in terms of any specific announcements. And it's not like they can just redo the macOS interface again after last year and make everything glow. No, 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 no. That'd be terrible. <laughs> There'll be light mode, dark mode, and romance Ooh. mode, which is a rosy color for Craig. Oh, my God, that would be horrible. <laughs> all, right. Uh, all right, let me take a break and thank our first sponsor, Sourcegraph. Do you spend too much time wandering aimlessly around your code base, speaking of developers, to find what you're looking for? Imagine if you could thoroughly search your code, all your code, private code, public code, open source code, across every repo, every language, every code host. You can. That is Sourcegraph's universal code search. With Sourcegraph, you can find anything in your code fast without losing your flow. Quickly navigate with contextual hover t- tooltips that show definitions, references, usage examples, and more, construct complex queries and filter code in ways that IDEs and code hosts can't. Sourcegraph has a visual and interactive query builder that supports regular expressions, yay, and syntax-aware pattern matching, so you get your answers in seconds. Universal Code Search is a developer's superpower. With it, you can find and fix bugs, do better code reviews, identify security risks, onboard to a new code base, and make large-scale refactors. Once you start using Sourcegraph, you'll wonder how you ever lived without it. Get it now. Here's the URL. Info.sourcegraph.com slash talk show. That's info.sourcegraph.com slash 
Talk Show. I thank Sourcegraph for sponsoring this episode of the Talk Show. Well-timed for a developer tool. Uh, so timing-wise, maybe we're not so lucky recording today because we got to talk about the WWDC news coming out, but people are expecting an April event. Some people were expecting yeah. a, a March 23rd event. It seems like Apple is due for a product announcement event. They often hold events in late March, early April. It seems like they have a bunch of pending products, but no announcement yet. And today is yeah. Tuesday, as we record, Tuesday the 30th. Why is it that, that we were thinking... April 7th as an event day, which is a Wednesday instead of April 6th, which is a Tuesday. I'm not, Apple has such a weird, like they're, they're, September has almost always been iPod and then iPhone and October has been, you know, recently a lot about the Mac, but March has varied so much. Even if you discount 2020 because there was no event, it was 2020. The year before that, it was the services event where they did TV plus and arcade. Uh, and then they announced products like the AirPods, two in press releases around it, the, I, the iPad mini, the iPad Air. The year before that, it was the education event in Chicago where they did announce the low-price iPad, but mostly it was a lot of educational initiatives. Yeah. But then they've also done things like the 20, 2015, they did the the 12-inch MacBook, big product, and a lot of the Apple Watch stuff. So it seems like this is the event that just does whatever they need it to do in the spring. Right. Things that aren't necessarily on a regular schedule. The iPad Pros, yeah. for example, have been on uh, not a random schedule, but a somewhat irregular schedule. You know, like, like last year's... ish Yeah, and last year's were a, a, a unique upgrade where it was just going from the A12X to the A12Z, yeah. and the only difference was that the GPU go, went from seven cores to eight cores. And, yeah. and, and they added the... Um, the LiDAR sensor. The wide angle, yeah. Um, so uh, that was a weird update. I, I think we're... And the Magic Keyboard was new. We got the Magic Keyboard right. and the iPhone SE. Right, which and the, the update to iPadOS to support the trackpad yes. uh, and mouse system-wide, which was, in my opinion, a bigger uh, bigger deal than the yeah. actual hardware. Um, uh, so I don't know. I I kind of feel, and people are going to have to, this episode won't air until tomorrow, the 31st. I, pretty, I, I would say there's more than a 50% chance that we'll get an announcement tomorrow that there's going to be an event on seven days later on April 7th. I'm going to put the odds at six, 60%. Okay. But people, if it happens, people will have to take my word for it that we were recording this on on the the thirtieth. What do you think? Is there a significance to the seven? Because is there like something in the U.S. or a holiday or anything that would push it from like a Tuesday to a Wednesday this this month? I, I can't think. The Easter is on Sunday, but the, that's the, true. So, but the, why would that preclude using Tuesday? Right? I mean, even Monday yeah. after Easter isn't really considered a holiday. You know. I mean, they don't do events on Monday. They typically only do them on Tuesdays yeah. and Wednesdays. And maybe like there's like one exa weird example where there was one on a Thursday. But Tuesday and Wednesday yeah. are usually the days. I don't know. I mean, and maybe they announce it tomorrow and it's Tuesday the 6th. I still think, though, that the announcement could come tomorrow. And because nobody has to travel for these things, 
yeah. there's not that much reason to worry about giving people six days notice or seven days notice. And then the PR flow is, okay, today the WWDC announcement takes up all the Apple cycles and you know puts the date on the calendar, gets people talking about it. Then boom, the next day, hey, we have an event next week, some kind of clever slogan with, you know, I don't know which event, will, which product might be the one that gets the pun title, um, <laughs> keeps people talking about that for six days, and then the actual event happens and they release these things. I could see that being the plan. And if it's not, yeah. if it's not next week, then I would think it's definitely the week after that. I, I just feel like they're, it's bursting at the seams at this point to uh, release some of this stuff. Yeah, it feels like there's a bunch of products just at Apple Park that just keep slamming against that door saying, let us out, let us right. out. Right. So what do you, what would you, I mean, do you, do you agree that there's got to be a, an April event? Yeah, I think anytime that, like, if it's just iterative update stuff, you know, like the, uh, the Intel MacBook Air with the uh, non-butterfly with the uh, scissor key keyboard, that kind of stuff they can drop in a press release, no problem. AirPods 2, no problem. We know what AirPods are. But anytime they need to explain something, it really, really behooves them to have an event. And if there is anything significant about the iPad Pro, like some of the rumors suggest, or just if they do finally release AirTags, there's, there are things that I would like Apple to get ahead of because I can just anticipate a whole bunch of really sensational headlines if Apple doesn't have a good story in place. Like they're going to do it anyway, but I just think they'll be, it, it's, it'd be a good, it'd be good for Apple to get ahead of these products and sort of present their case on stage for them. Yeah. Any one of them, I mean, one, one good rule of thumb is even with the virtual events, Apple is keen not to waste our time and they're not going to have yeah. even a 45 minute event just to unveil new AirPods. Right. And I don't think they would, yes. they're not going to hold an event just to have a 15 minute, they're not going to do a 15 minute event, I don't think. Um, which, you know, would, if it was like just AirPods. Because what, you know. But on the other hand, if they're going to have a late March, early April episode of the Apple event show, and, yes. and there are just new third generation AirPods, well, let's give them five to 10 minutes and talk about what a success AirPods have been out in the world and how they're the number one, whatever way of phrasing it as the number one wireless, you know, AirPods in the world. Um, and here's what's great about our most popular AirPods, the regular AirPods. And here's what's great about the new ones. You know, I, yeah. I, I would definitely give them time. I, if I were them, I would see them giving them time that they otherwise wouldn't get on, on their own if it was the only thing. My, ho my hope, my dream for this event would be the new iPad Pro, the new Apple TV, and AirTags, because I am so ready for all three of those things. <laughs> and if they have to sacrifice AirPods to like a press release or even a fall yeah. event to give me those things, I'll just sign me right up. I think that they're good, though, that especially with the, on, with the online format where there's not as much boilerplate of, okay, we're on stage and now we're going to introduce. And, and not that those handoffs of, and now I'm going to call so-and-so out to tell you about blank, not that that takes a lot of time and they're always right in the wings and they're halfway out on the stage ready to take the clicker from whoever's handing it off to them. But it adds up, yeah. you know, in a way that you they edit all of that out with the uh, 
with the online show version. You know, so like HomePod Mini didn't take a lot of time in in no. the in the whatever event that was where the HomePod Mini. Plus, came you out. get that cool Bottle City of Candor special effect <laughs> when it was hiding behind him. Right. So I would say AirPods is probably the boringest thing, right? Because the idea would be it's just a new version of the standard AirPods without noise cancellation, but with a, supposedly with an industrial design that looks a lot like the AirPods yeah. Pro. Different ear shape. And I wonder if they'll still have the rubber tips, you know, if that will become standard with the, the sizable rubber tips like the AirPod, AirPods Pro. Did the, it, it, is it a problem if they look indistinguishable from AirPods Pro? I think it's less the problem with the AirPods Pro. Some of the rumors had, like some of the leaked images uh, had tips or or looked like they could have tips or didn't have tips. Right. So it seems like it's still up in the air, but a lot of people don't like, like they're, right now, some people don't like the AirPod, the classic AirPods, because they don't stay in their ears. So they get the right. AirPods Pro and they like the, the, the tips. Other people don't like having anything in their ear. It either bothers them or is actually painful for them. So they get the AirPods and they have that choice in products. So this looks like it's trying to be a middle ground. And maybe the tips will even be optional, uh, which would be great. You know, yeah. Apple's not famous for giving you options, but right. maybe they will be. But I hope at least the people who prefer not to have them still have an option. Yeah, my son uh, has regular AirPods and has tried my AirPods Pro and claims to hate them. Like, he hasn't yeah. worn them, like, long enough to really give him a chance. But he just, he just, uh, he just like, ah, I don't like the feel of that in my ear. It doesn't want. So, it's hard. It's hard to please everybody. I mean, putting things in your yeah. ear, it, it, just size alone, it's hard to get one size fits all. Um but, and that was a problem with the earpods. Like it was like good for eighty percent of the people, but then twenty percent of the people yeah. they just fell out all the time, and that's not great either. Yeah. Um, what else? Uh, iPad, new iPad Pros. Yeah. Let's let's go in reverse order of novelty, right? Okay. Because like, I, I I I'm going to say new i iPad Pros seem like as close to a sure thing as possible because it's an important product yeah. for Apple. And like I said, last year's was just a, truly just a minor GPU speed bump. Um, and the LiDAR camera, I always give poor LiDAR engineers, I don't really give you much. I just don't think people are using LiDAR cameras on their iPad very often. To be honest, no, that always felt like a developer specific yeah. move. You yeah, know, get it out in people's hands earlier. Yeah, before the before the iPhone shipped with lidar, yeah. and maybe you know it would become a bigger deal for the iPad if the iPad if the new iPad Pros use the lidar to help with low light autofocus the way that the iPhone 12 cameras do. Um, well, that was so weird. It's like the iPad came out with the lidar, and they didn't hook it up to the camera app at all. Like, right. if you, it was one of the most unApple-like things I've ever encountered. If you press the portrait mode button, it flipped the camera around into the the true depth camera, which is not intuitive right. at all. And I thought that they were just super busy, and that we'd get it with iOS 14 in September when the iPhone got it, and we still never got it. No, they never, they never had. There's some, there, yeah. Either they don't want to do the work, or there's something lacking in the hardware camera that prevents them from doing it up to up to yeah. what they would view as useful so uh i'm gonna say it's overdue so there was never an a13 generation ipad pro a14x seems like a likely bet yeah 
Uh, yeah, I think that's true. And I, I'm super fascinated because a lot of people, as soon as they saw the M1, they're like, we want that on an iPad. But the M1 was essentially an A14X with just a little bit of extra Mac-specific IP, like the virtualization, the emulation, and the two Thunderbolt controllers. So that's basically what we're going to get in terms of just silicon power in the iPad Pro. One of the interesting rumors, and I, I made a little bit of hay out of it, with, out of it when I linked to Mark Gurman's post on the iPad Pros was the is the rumor that uh, they might switch to mini LED screens, and yeah. <laughs> according to the rumor mill, perhaps only in the the larger twelve point nine inch yeah. iPad Pro, um, and that Apple, you know, the the part I made hay over was you know two weeks ago describing it as something Apple was looking into. <laughs> Yeah, and they were testing Thunderbolt two weeks ago. It's such odd right. language that Bloomberg uses. You're not testing something this close to release. I, you know, this mini LED rumor has been out there for a while. Um, the iPhones have, of course, switched to OLED. Um, yeah. The iPad Pros still using ancient, decrepit, uh, regular... LCD technology, LED technology, what is it? Yeah, it's LCD with an LED backlight. Right, LCD with an LED backlight. They, they, they're still, they're great looking displays, but, yeah. you know, Apple, you know, moves fast on display technology. Mini LED is supposedly next. What's, what is, what is your understanding of why they would go OLED for phones, but mini LED? for iPads? Like, why Why would there never be an OLED generation of iPads? So, I mean, there might. There's a couple things. Um, like, all of this stuff is is kind of nerdy, but I think this audience really appreciates that. OLED is a, is a terrific but fundamentally flawed technology where you require a ton of mitigations. Like, you've got to mitigate against burn-in, off-axis color shifting. Uh, when you go to low brightness levels, you have pulse width modulation, which some people say they can see and gives them headaches or just bothers them in general. And OLED also didn't have the ability to do promotion until basically the end of last year, not in the quantities of devices that Apple shipped. Samsung managed to get them into a few devices like the Fold 2 and the Galaxy Note. Those are very small um, scale devices compared to iPhones and iPads. So they need basically the... the, what do they call it? Uh, you, you need a special kind of, of uh, LTPO technology, the same the Apple Watch has, to be able to do the variable refresh rate. Because people will complain, they'll say, oh, like $3 Android phones have 120 hertz refresh, but not the iPhone. And it's just that Apple doesn't do high refresh. They do variable refresh rates right. all the way down to one on the Apple Watch, uh, 24 to, to 120 on the iPad. So they would lose promotion if they'd done OLED earlier. Uh, and also, OLED has still had problems with contigu- like the consistency of brightness on larger panels. Not like TV sets use totally different technologies than the the phones and the and the iPads do. So Apple's been looking at micro LED, which is also completely different. That's like a more advanced version of OLED for the watch and probably the phone one day. But for everything that's LCD now, the Macs and the iPads, it gives you almost OLED levels of deep shadows. Uh, you know, brightness, uh, 
contrast ratio by using local dimming zones, which is what they showed off with the ProDisplay XDR. So that basically you, you stop the leaking of the light into the larger part of the panel. So it gives you almost everything without all of the drawbacks that OLED has. And I wouldn't be surprised if they bifurcated it now that you can get LTPO OLED and maybe some iPads have OLED and some have mini-LED. But it feels like mini-LED is a better tablet solution right now. So there's mini-LED and micro-LED. Yeah, micro-LED is self-illuminating like oh OLED God, is. And mini-LED is as a backlight. Like, so, yeah, it's it's terrible. Yeah. But it is inter- it's, it, it's interesting how bifurcated this has all become, right? Where it... it like when the iPad first came out, it just had the iPhone screen just bigger, right? Yeah. And it was like the same yeah. pixels per inch, and it was all similar technology and similar refresh rates. And it's, you know, now iPhones have OLED, and OLED has certain characteristics that make that better. Yes. And uh, but iPads, which are using this older technology, have had Pro Motion displays with higher variable refresh rates for years now. Yeah. iPhone has still never had that. Um, was a much anticipated maybe for last year's iPhones 12. I'll bet it's coming this year. It felt like yeah. that was like one of the last tipping point. Mm, could we do it this year now? And now it'll come this year and there'll be variable refresh rates. Well, Samsung put it into the Galaxy S21 and that's the big indicator because that's their popular phone, which means that they can produce it at capacity now. What else are we thinking about for iPad Pro? So the new display is a maybe. Do you think they would do this with with the big 13-inch model gets a more advanced display technology than the 11-inch? Um, I would hope they keep it the same because like you, I'm a big proponent of just let me choose the size. Make right. everything else identical and just let me choose the size. I don't want to think I'm getting a lower class iPhone or iPad just because I'm getting a smaller one. Uh, but I think it also probably has to do – like they're looking – I just imagine Tim Cook has basically pivot tables in his head at this point, and they they figure out everything in terms of price point and yield and what each component costs and what they can charge for the product, and then all those little all those little number sheets in his head lock into what they can do for any given generation. Right. You would think technically it would be harder to do it in a bigger device, but on the other hand, the bigger ones sell for more money, and so therefore maybe it's not really an engineering problem, but just a component you know availability and profit margin issue. It's just- and it's it's also it's also not intuitive sometimes. Like a couple of years ago at CES, they were showing off the early mini and micro LED TVs, and they ha- they were enormous because the panel size, the pixels in the panels were still enormous. They hadn't been able to shrink them down yet. So you have all sorts of factors that always you know complicate these things. All right, I yeah, I say it's a maybe, you know, and and it's one of those weird rumors where usually there's a little smoke, there's fire. It seems yeah. like the display stuff, you know, with Ming Chi Kuo, you know, is often a, a, the, one of the leakiest aspects of Apple's supply chain. I wouldn't bet against it. I hope not, but it also sounds like something that Apple definitely could do is say only in the twelve or twelve point nine inch we have. You know something even better. We've got this this amazing yeah. display with these amazing characteristics. Um, yeah, and sometimes it just matters like how much they can produce. Like maybe they can produce enough for one of them and not the other, or like you said, absorb the price right. in one of them but not the other. Uh, I I've gotten a slew of emails uh, and tweets and from readers thinking that Apple might use the M1 chip in the iPad Pro and that it might also therefore dual boot into Mac OS and that you this would be the you know the the solution to 
the one device meets all. And to that, I say, no way. Like the M1, they couldn't have, I don't know what the A stands for in the A series chips, Uh, Apple, maybe. Yeah, it was just Apple originally. Yeah. Uh, The M1, the M and M1 is for Mac and Macs are Macs and iPads are iPads. Uh, I I would expect based on, you know, like benchmark scores, comparing the regular old A14 and the iPhone 12 to the M1 Max, that the A14X uh, which is what I would anticipate the iPad Pro chip being named would perform very similarly benchmark wise to the M1s because it would ha- it yes. probably have the extra uh, high performance cores uh, and probably maybe clocked higher. But that doesn't make it that, – that's not the difference between the M1 and the A14. The M1 has a bunch of other stuff on the system on a chip that are specific to the needs yeah. of a Mac that wouldn't make sense for – an iPad. So it's not like the A14X is going to be slow. I think it will be crazy fast, just like the M1, but that's, that's the M1 is way, way more than that. And the, the dual yeah. boot idea, I really, for those of you hoping for it, I really, I, I just don't see it happening. It just seems like it, anathema to Apple's mindset of how these devices and the OS. Very toaster friggy. Yeah. Yeah. And it just, <laughs> there's just no separation conceptually from, uh, I know in theory you could do it, but, and I know that like the developer kits for, uh, for the Apple Silicon Max that, you know, the developers are just being politely told to hand back now were performance wise very similar to, iPad Pros. But there's a reason why they didn't let you run Mac OS on an iPad iPad Pro to develop your Mac apps, right? Which is what also a year ago what a lot of people were thinking, you know, that there won't be developer kits, they'll just have a way to dual boot your iPad Pro into yeah. Mac OS and that's how you'll develop. No, they like they're not going to have Mac OS running on a touchscreen when Mac OS doesn't support touchscreens. Even though you could, yeah. and then you know, well, you could just use the magic keyboard, and then you have a trackpad. But it's like that just isn't how Apple thinks about things. Yeah, and I think like there's one circumstance where I can see them. Like, so again, just for all intents and purposes, the A14X would be identical in, in just in terms of like it would have the same ice storm and firestorm efficiency and performance cores. And I'm going to just register a protest here that the graphics and the neural engine cores don't get fancy code names because shader core and brains, sorry, shader storm and brainstorm seem like logical <laughs> code names for those, those chips. So I like, can just treat all your cores equally, but they would, they would be the same, like literally the same chip. They might have frequency differences right. given the thermal envelopes right. of the boxes they're put in, but it's the same cores. The like Apple right now has an A12 in the iPhone and an A12 in the iPad Air. It's the exact same silicon. The iPhone will hit the image signal processor more because people take and process photos more on their iPhones. And maybe the GPU gets hit harder in the iPad Air because people are using, you know, higher level apps like Procreate, things that hit the GPU harder. But it's just efficient for them. That's their whole scalable architecture thing. It's why they don't become a ver- uh, silicon merchant for Apple being there. You know, a bunch of different products inside Apple is that everything from the watch to the to the Mac has the same sort of core architecture. So if if it's cheaper for them to have M series uh, and like, to just because the names are the, like the, the chips are the same. If it's cheaper to have an M processor in an iPad, they call it A14X. Turn off one of the Thunderbolt controllers. Turn off the the virtualization and the emulation circuits. Maybe just 
it's economics uh, that changes that. Otherwise, if it's cheaper to make a whole separate line of chips that don't include that to begin with, that's what they'll do. But there's there's no functional difference there. I, I, yeah, that's what I anticipate. Uh, anything else? Did we, you know, I guess the, maybe it'll get a camera upgrade compared to the existing iPad Pros because that's what happens. Otherwise, though, you know. I'd love to see Thunderbolt, though. I mean, now that they have Thunderbolt on the M1 and they could conceivably put right. on board a Thunderbolt controller, just because I have so many really fast storage drives now that don't work on the mm. iPad Pro, and I'd love to be able to pull video and stuff onto there. Well, and I think if they go USB 4, that includes yeah. Thunderbolt. And I know yeah. that, oh my God, the, the entire saga of USB-ish standards that use yes. the plug that looks like, we all just look, see that plug and we think that's USB-C. And it's also Thunderbolt, but a Thunderbolt cable costs $200. <laughs> And is thick and heavy and ray shielded and, uh, you know, USB 4 supposedly is the USB with that plug yeah. that works the way we, it obviously all should have worked all along where everything is everything, you know, that it, and so if you plug anything in that has that plug, it'll go at the fullest speed that it supports, including Yeah, it's the dream, right? <laughs> Finally, because right. right now, so, you, like like you said, the USB C. Some of them have power, some don't. Some support displays, some right. don't. Some do. Like the, it's just a mess, and this hopefully will fix it. Right, especially if it's USB four, and then that that should yeah. be the most future proof as well, and would be a very nice story. It would be, and you know, it would be a nice little feather in the the iPad Pro's cap that it has USB four before the Mac even. Let me think. Yeah, that's a good one. And it seems likely. And at the very least, Thunderbolt seems likely. Yeah. I mean, and for some reason, the, the whole like driving big Thunderbolt displays from an iPad Pro is a thing. And apparently people are using it. I, I don't know. I, I've never plugged anything like that in. Well, just but, like I have these Samsung drives that are they're right. al almost like the MVNE drives and they just don't work on the iPad Pro. And that, right. that's annoying. Just don't work right? at all. <laughs> yeah. Right. Right, and it definitely works against the, you know, and that's, uh, not to get into the whole, is the iPhone ever going to support a USB-C plug, um, to which I say, no, I really don't think so. I think it's lightning all the way until they go no plug at all. But their explanation, for you know, and, and the people who, for whatever reason, want the iPhone to go USB-C, um, and I totally get the, I told, I'm not dismissing you, but I, I totally get the idea that then you only have one type of plug type laying around your yeah. house to charge everything, you know, but then the Apple watch chargers would all have to go USB-C too. And, you know, it's, it's not that easy. No, but Apple's original explanation for when the iPad pro first switched from lightning to USB-C was we want to enable pro workflows that would otherwise require a Mac I forget how they phrased it exactly, but more or less things you used to have to use a Mac or PC for, they wanted the iPad Pro to do, yeah. and that meant USB-C, and the best USB-C was USB-C, so they have USB-C, so that you can plug USB peripherals into your iPad Pro for professional workflows. And that's not really a, a thing for phones. People aren't, you know, Apple doesn't sell the iPhone as a thing that you can plug PC peripherals like Samsung Thunderbolt drives into your iPhone. In theory, it could, but again, in theory, they could, you know, make the iPhone dual boot macOS. You know, they're not going to do it. Yeah, I it, think, 
the thing for me is that like they, they like Apple built all these things like they contributed hugely towards USB-C and they knew the timelines and they wanted to make the iPhone 5 and USB-C just wasn't going to be ready for years and so they made lightning because they don't have to worry about the USB like the USB consortium for that and then you just can't ask people to change connectors that often when they change from the dock to lightning the, people were super angry they had to get new cables and, and and everything for it so you can maybe get away with that on a product that's like with apple products once a decade and and so there was no point in going to USB-C. and now now i feel like lightning is a bottleneck like it's still at us mostly still at usb 2.1 speeds it's not really great for anything it's more waterproof than USB-C. it's slightly smaller than USB-C. but all of that things it just feels like it's it's approaching end of life and is there USB-C in the future would they make a new mini USB-C? would like what's the point when they could just use magsafe and 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 the u1 chip to do wireless charging and data um you know, the big problem with only going wireless for charging is that the highest speed isn't anywhere near as fast as the highest speed you can get through a plug. It's fast uh, now, though. Like, if you look at yeah. like, some of the Android vendors are not only using faster chargers, but they're segmenting the battery so you can charge them in right. parallel. Right. So is I, I wouldn't be surprised if that's Apple's long-term plan, that they've got stuff on the whiteboard down the hall, you know, like yeah. at the end of the hallway where people are working on things two to three years out as opposed to things shipping this year. They've got plans for getting wireless uh, – I can't believe I just said wireless, but <laughs> magnetic <laughs> inductive charging uh, working at higher speeds. And then someone else down the hall is working on actual wireless charging where it, you can charge yeah. at a distance – from from a device truly over the air like that refrigerator that they were showing off in china where you just walk around your living room and it trickle charges you anything else for ipad i would take USB-C in an in an iphone pro though i mean i would take it anyway just because like if you're giving me a pro device like let consumers have all the inductive stuff but if you're giving me a pro device and you're going to go to 8k for video right. and all these things eventually i just want that speed i want the speed to be able to take stuff on and off that thing it's possible, you know, and maybe pro would be the way they do it. I just think that it's one of those things where the nerd part of the population cannot believe how the vast majority of non-nerds think about things. And one of my favorite examples is the old 5-watt charger um, and how many people preferred that charger because it was small yeah. and you could keep it in your purse and it's lightweight or uh, you could plug it in to – plugs that were full of other plugs and there was all if there was an open socket there was room for that plug and that they don't really care that it's not the highest speed they just they really appreciate the size and it really wasn't until apple could and again could in theory make a higher capacity charger at a smaller size sure but do it at their scale and at the cost they wanted to hit for the price at a smaller size, they really kind of needed to wait for that. And the, the size issue never came up All the in the nerd press. All they wanted yes. to talk about was 5-watt is slow and iPhones are expensive. It's a ripoff that it doesn't come with a high-speed charger. But it's like people don't want that. You know. A lot of that was nonsense too. Like when you like, there's levels of nerds, and there's like there's nothing more dangerous than like a half-informed nerd, and I mean that lovingly, because when you actually look at it, it's the same thing as 5G and all of these technologies. When you looked at them, they would peak charge at those at, at those wattage, but they wouldn't they wouldn't sustain charge at that. They would like give you a few seconds, but if you actually started measuring the current, it was nowhere near there, and they were proprietary. So if you lost whatever dongle, you couldn't like you couldn't just plug it into anything else. You wouldn't get anywhere near those. The whole thing was really cockamamie, and yet it was such good marketing and such spec bait for a whole segment of the community. 
so and I, I think the same thing is true of connectors. I, I, yeah. I, I can't believe that the nerds don't remember all the non-nerds in their life complaining so vociferously when Apple switched to Lightning yes. from the old 30-pin connectors. Even though when you now look back at the 30-pin connectors, they look ridiculous. Every alarm There's, clock in every hotel room for like, what, eight years? Right. They're they're so so big and so weird looking, right? Because they exposed so much of the metal. It, it was such a weird looking plug. It's kind of hard to believe it was Apple's plug, and you really have to go back, you know, twenty years yeah. ago to the the early iPod era when they first switched away from FireWire to yeah. to really appreciate how novel that that adapter was but it's not apple's finest adapter design work no. it's just exposed and they had to keep bits. re-switching the pins remember because they would like they had yeah. to switch something from to, to hdmi and then they had to cross again it was just a yeah. mess but w- when they switched to lightning which in hindsight seems well of course obvious look how small and elegant it is people went bananas on the theory that this was just a money grab and that they switched the plug just to get everybody to spend yeah. 20 more bucks on to replace all the cables around their house and if they switch to USB-C, and again, you could say, well, that's the open standard. It's like people would still say it was a money grab and they're mad because like there are husbands and wives where one gets a new phone on the even years, the other gets the phone on the odd years. And what do you do for the year where they don't have the same plug on their phone and they want to have one plug in the kitchen? You know, it's like oh, that's a common scenario. Year. Just look at last year when Apple switched to a USB-C cable. People got super angry saying, you know, we all we all have these USB-A connectors. Or right. Most right. people with an iPhone have a PC, not a Mac, and they have USB-A ports on them. And Apple's clear message was, we know, but we figure if you have the old connector, you have the old cable. What we're worried about is you not having a USB-C cable if you have that connector. So we're giving you one with it. And they were like, no, this is outrageous. I'm not saying they won't do it, you know, and there are good reasons for it. And I know some people would celebrate a change and, and the idea that maybe they would do it for the pros and not the regular iPhone 13s. I could see it because then they could, you know, pitch it as this is for our pro customers who are yeah. connecting these pro utilities. They're using I just raw, they're using Dolby, you know, vision, right. they're doing 8K, whatever video. Right. We're giving you but, a connector for all that. But on the other hand, I think there's a huge security aspect to their desire to go portless because there still are you still see some reports that like those uh what are those gray, gray whatever boxes that oh, the, the, yeah and also the juice jack attacks where they just put it over the firmware in a USB-C cable right you know that a bunch of the ways that iPhones get hacked you know by the companies that sell these boxes to law enforcement supposedly yeah. only to law enforcement you know that these things Celebrate. go over yeah, celebrate. They did, and they they go over USB, and it's like, uh, however, you know, you can say, well, fix all your USB bugs. Well, one way to fix all your USB and yes. Lightning bugs is to just get rid of USB and Lightning, <laughs> and just take it out of the OS, even right. You don't even need it. Yeah. It's if you don't have the port. That's that's one way to nip all those bugs in in the, you know, in the bud. And then if you have CarPlay, they'll just make a dongle for you. It'll be USB to to wireless right. or you know whatever Apple standard uses for wireless. It'll be fine. Yeah, don't underestimate their their ability to make a dongle for you. <laughs> yes, dongle. That's not like again. I keep ranting about this stuff, but like if you're pros, you're just so used to that because you had FireWire 400 dongles, FireWire 800. You had mini DVI, regular DVI, DisplayPort. You've had all the dongles. We've never lived a dongle-free life. 
No, just scuzzy things that used to screw yeah. in the back. I mean, all right, what's next? Let's do one more and then we'll take a break. Do you want to do Apple TV next? Because I'm I'm waiting on that. All right, let's do Apple TV. Okay. I don't. This is one. I don't. What do you think? You think that there's new Apple TV hardware? I think so because there's rumors of a new a new. I don't want to call it a Siri remote anymore. I don't know if it's going to be right. Siri like optimized, but there's just there's two sets of rumors one that it gets an a12x or an a12z and it just does hdr compositing better and plays apple arcade games better and it's just a spec bump and there's this other set of rumors that it's going to get an a14x um which is which is odd to me because that's more expensive it's still not as good in terms of gpu as an xbox series x or a playstation 5 but it would let apple do a higher level of games um which you know despite but despite Apple showing very little interest in, in high-order gaming, making all the money on casual gaming, people still have this fantasy of an Apple, you know, a, a, like a, a, a more premium Apple gaming experience device. And so that's the other, the other way that they could go. Yeah, I know, and I know that there have been somebody splunking around, I don't know if it was Guillermo Rambo or who, but somebody was splunking around the latest uh, iOS 14.5 beta and found the strings that you're referencing you know that there's strings in the source code that reference a new remote and yeah. maybe have a hint of something. So I, I I'm just so I, I I so want them to make uh, to release a new Apple TV box, just as a clear sign that they're still committed to having an Apple TV yes. box. That I don't even care what the details are so much. Like, like my number one thought is, well, at least they're not getting away from it. Because I do. I, I know I've talked about it in the last few episodes. I don't have to rehash it all here. But the fact that they're so all in on getting the Apple TV app for TV Plus content built into TVs and other companies' boxes yeah. and dongles is, you know, you could just say, well, it's, you know, it's a dual strategy. They have their own box and they also want Apple TV plus everywhere. Um, but like if the, you know, if the Apple TV box just fades away and doesn't get updated and eventually gets one of those sad Friday night, Matthew Panzerino yes. stories at TechCrunch <laughs> that, it, you know, it's while supplies last, right? Poor everybody, Matthew. everybody. He's therapy. Will, well, he's so he's he's great at it, though. Yes, uh, but, but he's it's, like, he's like the last rights for every Apple product, right? But it's like you know, like when they discontinued HomePod, yeah. exactly like this. I was disappointed because uh, yep. I like HomePods better than most people do. Me but too. that's because I believe that the true HomePod experience is two of them as yep. a seven hundred dollar product, and that you know that's more money than people wanted to spend. They didn't make the pitch. But when they discontinued it, nobody was like shocked. It wasn't like, yeah. oh my God, I can't believe it. It was sort of like, well, yeah, it didn't seem to be selling very well. And yeah. if they did that with Apple TV, everybody would be like, yeah, well, it didn't seem like it was selling that well. And they just spent the last 18 months in this major push with rival companies like Samsung and Google to get Apple TV onto all those boxes, what did you think there's that a, meant? There's a poor SOB somewhere in Cupertino whose only job it is is to make a Tizen port of the TV app, and I feel so bad for them. <laughs> I, you know, I, so I would be happy just, you, you, you have me at new Apple TV, right? Yes. You've got me. With a U1 chip and the controller so you can find it when it's in the sofa cushions. That would just right? Be oh, that would be great. Um, 
maybe something spatially oriented so that they can do yes. the um, spatial audio. I would hope yeah. that that's part of it, right? Because the problem I've, – I've written about this, I think, most extensively when I was writing about the AirPods Max with this cool spatial audio feature where you can watch Dolby Surround movies and get extraordinary, un- extraordinarily uncanny spatial audio. It's not just left-right. It, it really is truly directional. Yeah, if people aren't familiar with that, like if you're in a room with speakers and you walk around, the speakers don't move with you. They stay in the same place. But if you're wearing headphones, the headphones move around with you. And spatial audio basically treats headphones like speakers. So it doesn't matter where you're walking. The the audio stays in place as if you were listening to speakers. Or when you turn your head, right? You turn yes. your head a little bit and you get this. It is It is both uncanny and to me, very pleasant. I, I enjoyed. I enjoy it very much. It's a little crazy, though, that it only works when you're watching a movie on an iPad or an iPhone. I mean, if you're on an airplane, that's great because that's where I would be watching the yeah. the movie. But I tend to watch movies on TV. Now, I don't have like a baby in the house or anything like that where I need to watch listen to headphones while I watch movies. But I have a while ago, and I remember like you know. There's and there's all sorts of other domestic situations where where you might want to watch on a big screen but use headphones to avoid disturbing somebody else. And if that's the case, man, the best thing would be AirPods Max with spatial yeah. audio. But doesn't work even though Apple TV is like a $200 product because Apple TV doesn't have any kind of spatial chip that would let you yes oriented and you can't just assume that the apple tv is centered under the television because how does the headphone how do the headphones even know where the center of the television is um that would be cool i would hope so i would hope that would be part of it because i think the spatial audio is a thing that they should put into everything they can some kind of beeper (laughs) you one thing in the remote would be fantastic also like (laughs) once you get the spatial audio um like there's a homepod mini but let's assume there's going to be a next generation homepod with a u1 you could theoretically just throw speakers in a room anywhere and they would all know where they are and where the is, and just give you instant like atmos everywhere which i would love right right it just you know give you this rich spatial experience yeah just from the homepods don't even tease me. Don't tease me with a new des- <laughs> with a new design for the remote. I, I don't even don't even want to go there. Yeah. Boy, that would be a pleasant surprise. If the only feature on the remote were a U one chip for making it beep when it's in the couch, yes. that would be pretty good. You hold up your new iPad and it shows you where it is under the pillow. Like you, you, I'm, I'm there. <laughs> I mean, putting aside the idea of making it an actual good game controller. Which again, I think would be would be ideal, you know, and something. Well, that's the rumors, you know, like an Apple game controller, like as well, an additional. Right. And I'd love to see Apple design a game controller, and I'd love to see John Syracuse review the Apple game controller. <laughs> that would be good. I think that the Nintendo Switch shows that you can make a credible game controller in a very tidy, tight size, yeah. like because you can take the sides off a Switch and play with just one of them as an individual game controller, and it's not great. It's not the greatest thing, but it's it's good enough. I, I've enjoyed yep. it, you know, especially playing in a you know, with two or three, you know, like three or four people playing Mario Kart. And you don't have enough pro controllers to go around. Just give one of these to everybody, and it's good enough. Um, and so, Super Smash Brothers is so confusing; it doesn't matter what controller you give me. I can't <laughs> keep up, and I'm falling off the, the stage all the time anyway. 
So anyway, yeah, that would be great if it came. Are we getting too? Are we getting ahead of ourselves though? Is this too many products for one April event? Yeah, this is fanfic at this point, but I'm, yeah. I'm in for it. I think I'm down for it. Well, I, I don't know. I, I it would be great. It would it would be a weight off my shoulders if they had Apple yes. TV next week. Uh, there certainly is the potential, right? In terms of all of these products, which one needs an update? That would be one. I I feel like this A12 something versus A14 something discussion. If it's the A12 something, boy, it would be nice if they reduced the price of yes. Apple TV. And I know it's like my favorite segment of the talk show is spend Tim, Tim Cook's money yes. and tell Tim Cook how to make things lower priced and make less money on a product. More for less, yep. But the price tag of Apple TV is, to me, very similar to the full-size HomePods. The price tag alone is clearly keeping many, many people from even considering it. You know, they go in and they look and there's, if they're in the market for a box to hook up to their US, to their HDMI port on their TV and the Roku's are 50 bucks and the Apple TV's are 170 bucks, they just go back to looking at the Roku's and the Amazon's and the other ones and they just don't really consider it. And whether they should or not, I, I think there's an argument that they should. I love my Apple TV, but Apple has had years now and has not made the compelling case for why it's worth it to spend that much money on it. And given how many years old Apple TV 4K is, it just, and it hasn't reduced, hasn't been reduced in price. Yeah, it just isn't that compelling technically anymore. I mean, it's really same years at, the iPhone 10, right? The same event right. as the iPhone 10. Yeah, and it just is. I know from talking to a you know some friends who are game developers, it it's it's a challenge to get and maintain thirty frames per second on the current Apple TV 4K uh, at yeah. 4K, right? And that's one of the things like for Apple Arcade. Uh, if you're playing, if you're a game and you're running on Apple TV 4K, you need to be able to play at 4K. You can't just switch to 1080. You know, which for games is actually reasonable that even if you're hooked up to a 4K TV, it'd be better to be running at 1080 at 30 plus frames per second than running at 4K under 30 frames per second. Frames per second is more important than the resolution. And in a game, there's motion blur and, you know, stuff's moving around. And, but, you know, that them's the rules and it's a challenge. It's, it's really hard, um, technically for a lot of modern iOS games to get 30 frames per second at 4K on Apple TV hardware. So if it's A12, though, I'd kind of hope it goes with a price cut. And then if it's an A14, it's, oh, this is why they kept the prices as high, you know, and never dropped the price. And it's still selling them at $180 because they plan to go all in with their best chip in an Apple TV and really make a play for selling this as a, good computer, a good game system, whatever else to hook up to your TV. And it's such a, it's, it was such, I mean, when the Apple TV 4K finally came out, I know there was just a bunch of stuff going on with like trying to decide, should it be a media box? Should it be a higher end premium console? What should the pricing be? Uh, and then they had a bunch of really interested game developers when the future of apps were apps who, because of the market of the iPhone, they were really eager to see if they could do that again on the Apple TV. And then at the last minute, they said, no, you have to use the Siri remote and you have yeah. to use on-demand resources. And they're just like, okay, we're going to wait and see then. And they, there was never anything for them to see. It didn't take right. off. So I just hope that if if they're going to go with that as their strategy, they do a holistic strategy and it's less about conforming to what Apple wants and more about how can we get developers to make really good titles for this. 
Yeah, I, I think I was talking about it with Snell recently on my show, but that you know, to me, their requirement that Apple Apple Arcade games fully support Apple TV and Apple TV 4K, with no exceptions, there's no Apple Arcade game that isn't playable on them, is to me a very good sign. I mean, again, maybe it's you know wishful thinking, but as somebody who's really hopeful that they're committed to Apple TV as a standalone platform. That's pretty significant because Apple TV, Apple Arcade is clearly a major initiative for them. It is one of yeah. only a handful of elements of the Apple One bundle. They promote the heck out of it in the App Store. They continue to produce. I don't know if that's the right verb. I mean, would you call it produce? I don't know what credit Apple gets for the games on Apple TV, but I'll call them the producers. Yeah. They continue to produce games. Hopefully, you know, I don't know. I think it would be very exciting if they if they made a sort of let's backtrack significantly and come at this idea of pitching people on Apple TV as a game console differently. If they're going to do it, I want them to go all in and do it. You know, don't do any half measures. Don't do any last minute changes. Make the developers ridiculously happy. Um, and that'll make the customers happy. Yeah. All right. Let me take a break and thank our next sponsor. It's our good friends at flat file. One of the worst ways you could spend your time is manually formatting spreadsheets. Thankfully, Flatfile has created Portal, their elegant import button, so your customers can confidently import their data the first time. Onboarding customer data with Flatfile Portal frees you, your engineers, and your customers from having to manually format and diddle with spreadsheets for hours without needing to maintain custom-built data importers specific to the format of a specific client's spreadsheet. Portal integrates with virtually any application and in minutes can transform your customer data onboarding from emailing Excel files back and forth to importing even the messiest customer data. Are you ready to solve your data chaos? Visit flatfile.io. That's flatfile.io. That's the whole thing. Go check them out. If that makes sense to you, if you're involved in something where you inboard, onboard customer data, go check them out. My thanks to them. For sponsoring the show. Uh, what else? Tiles, right? Air tags. Yeah, yeah. I mean, this is the one that's like, <laughs> it's got to come eventually, right? I mean, yeah. unless it gets air powered, right? And even then, I feel like they would just somehow get word out, right? I mean, and it's like I know it's a little different situation than air power because they actually announced it on stage yes. and showed it, and they've never officially said a word about the tags. But man, this is one that really feels. They don't even hide the strings anymore. Like the last few versions of iOS right. have just like had everything in them. It's been a while. I mean, it's like not just like betas. Yeah. It's you know, I, you know, and who knows? You know, if it's a COVID type thing and it's like, yeah. couldn't produce them, had production problems. You know, I still don't know. I, I I'm curious about this, and it's. You know, it, it certainly is the least likely to be announced in a press release because I feel like they really want to tell a story around them. I still don't know what the heck you're supposed to use them for. I, I don't know. Yeah, I think it's just like you said, it's like a tile-like product where you're supposed to, it's supposed to give the benefits of Apple's new Find My Network, you know, a privacy first, but a, but a powerfully, you know, massively distributed uh, location network to anything, your wallet, your bag, your backpack, 
Um, my concern and why I really want an event is that even though tiles have been on the market for years, and even though you could buy pretty much any smartphone to do this, the minute these things are announced, already before they've been announced, people are just going to call them like a stalking device. Yeah. Say that Apple, the same way like they do with accessibility technology, like the remote listening right. on AirPods, it's a spycraft technology, and we're going to have to deal with front page headlines for a week over this. It is true. And and going back to the rule that everything is predicted by science fiction and comic books, uh, Spider-Man's had the spider trackers since like the 60s. You know, Peter Parker had these little, and you know, of course, uh, he took the time to to make them in the shape of a Spider-Man logo so that anybody who found one attached to their car would know that it was Spider-Man who was tracking them. But it's it's the same product, right? It is the Spider-Man tracker. You just stick it on things. And, you know, the whole point of Spider-Man's doing it was to stalk people. You know, I, I mean, yep. we know that, you know, we didn't really see him as doing something wrong because he was using it against uh, criminal elements and supervillains. Yeah. There was some speculation. I, I forget if somebody found something in the beta or what, but that there's... You know, there's clear signs that Apple's got a feature to notify you if there's one near you. Yeah, if you're an iOS user and there's an unidentified tile next to you, it'll tell you. But that's interesting because let's say you're on a bus and the person next to you it right. just happens to have a tile in their bag. Or if you have an Android phone, it's not going to tell you squat. So right. I'm curious to see how that's implemented. Right. It's it, it, You can see why they'd be thinking about it. But then as soon as that was announced, other people were like, well, what good does that do me? I wanted to put one on my bicycle seat or whatever, you know, to, to track this yeah. item in case it, you know, in case it gets stolen. What good does it do if it's going to tell somebody who stole the thing I'm tracking that there's a tracker on it? I mean, and the answer, I guess, is going to be to clearly state this is not an anti-theft device, you know? For private for privacy reasons, it don't don't buy these uh, air tags as anti theft devices. If that's that, that's not it's what they're for. Possible, it would be more nuanced than that, and it could be that they're in a passive mode most of the time, and they don't register anything because they're not right. doing anything. And then when you put them in lost mode, then somebody would detect it. Um, and at that point, you probably know where your bike is. Uh, you know, you probably like you're, you're putting them in a more active state, so it's it's okay to alert people about that. And no one can be tracking you in the passive state anyway. You'd have to actually turn it on. So I think that would probably be a fair compromise. Yeah, I just don't know. I just don't know where I would put them. You know, and it's like, well, I guess I could put one in my carry-on luggage bag. You know, in my suitcase, and then when I when I check baggage at the airport, I can obsessively check whether it made it onto the plane. <laughs> Right, <laughs> my wife does this with American Airlines. If you have an American Airlines account, you you can use their app, and it'll tell you. You know, like you you know, you check your bags, then you go through security, and then you go and wait, and then you board your plane, and then you can sit there and look at the app or the website, and it'll tell you. You know, you have three bags that have been loaded onto flight eighteen twenty one, and I I don't even want to know, right? Because it's like I. She wants to know, and so she loads it, and she always tells me. But I would rather just get to my destination and find out then because it would decrease the amount of time where I'm upset and angry that my bag didn't make it onto the plane, right? Just don't even tell me. Yeah. Because it, yeah. doesn't, it doesn't help you. There's nothing you can do. What are you going to do, get off the plane, you know? Uh so I don't know. And, and I don't need it, you know. So that would be my one case. The only time I'm separated from my suitcases is when I'm loading them onto a plane. I just don't know where I'd put these tiles. And maybe I'm lacking in imagination because I've spent the last 
12 plus months barely leaving my house. And when I do, taking Did you use nothing. tiles? Uh, I had the regular tile brand one. My wife bought me some years ago, and I put one in my computer bag, and I didn't know where. It was a very kind gift. She thought it sounded nerdy. And it was very sweet of her. And I put one in my computer bag and never lost it, never. And so I never even used it. You know what I mean? Like I put one in there, I set it up the set up the app, and I never I never had a need for it. Yeah, yeah. I I had the tiles too, and I did put them in them. And I remember a couple times I'd left my bag behind, and I went, but I never needed the tile because I was only at one place, so I knew exactly where to go get it. It doesn't sound like it's a product. I mean, what other things would people want to track? I know you know people might want to track their kids, you know, for safety reasons. Yeah, the dogs. Your dog? Would you use it as a dog tag? Uh, it doesn't. It looks like I don't know. It's. I don't know. I, 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 I'm. I expect it to come. I, it seems like it's overdue. It doesn't sound like it's been canceled. So I guess it's coming. I'm most curious what they're what they are going to say it's useful for. And it's interesting because they went to all the trouble of making it like whether it was for antitrust issues or you know to whatever they made an API out of it. Mm-hmm. Announced at WWDC so that third parties could use the the Find My Network as well, and you'd have a variety of products. I'm guessing the Apple one will just be for people who have a high brand affinity for Apple and want something functionally Apple on their keychain. Whether they use it or not, it's just like a, a brand value play. Uh, but I'm curious to see what third parties um, you know, decide to do something, like will it be Belkin versions or whatever, and if people will find anything novel to do with them. You know, and, and I guess I didn't mention your keychain I guess that's the prototypical thing people often lose where a bottle cap size thing is not a, a big ask. Uh, I, I don't know. I don't lose my keys, you know? Uh, I, I, and But this way Apple can sell you, because they don't come with a key attached, you have to buy that separately like Apple Watch right, Band. So there'll right. be a whole third-party you know, accessory infrastructure <laughs> just, built into it. You know, it'd be interesting if they do that. And then, and then maybe they have like a breakthrough design for the key ring part. Yes. Right? And then there's a, an Hermes, uh, Hermes, I have to say it properly, I get yelled at, <laughs> a keychain to match your Apple Watch Band. Right, right. They could sell little leather things to put the AirTag in. Yeah, uh, that might, you know what? That's probably the whole idea. It's all just key, it's <laughs> it's really just a keychain, and it's just an excuse to sell hundred dollar Hermes uh, yes. keychain holders. <laughs> uh, solved it. Uh, all right. What about Macs? Do we think we're going to get new Mac hardware in April? I want like I want that 16 inch M1 M1X and whatever Apple calls it yeah. MacBook Pro so much. I have a feeling we might have to wait till WWDC right. to get them. The same with the iMac, but I, I want those just as fast as is humanly possible. But on the other hand, they canceled the iMac Pro already. Now, does yes. that mean anything? Or is it really just a, a reflection of Intel just continuing the Xeon chips that were used in it, and they're not going to re-engineer the iMac Pro for even a speed bump version of Xeon chips that they're planning to do away with anyway like i yeah i sort of feel like the the imac pros discontinuation date doesn't really there's not i wouldn't read too much into that on the expectation of m1 imacs 
but maybe. I, I totally agree. And also like the low end 21.5 inch iMacs have been discontinued, but I think that's more along the lines of we're running out and it doesn't make, these aren't NFC, NFTs. Yeah. We can't just mint them when we want to. We're not right. going to do a whole run just for like three more to keep three more of those in stock until we officially announce something. Right. It sounds like the rumors are, and, and I think you don't, even without paying attention to the rumors, it makes intuitive sense to me that for iMacs, as decades go on, screens get bigger. Um, yeah. So the small size changes from 21 inches to 24 inches. The big size changes from 27 to 30. That sounds about right to me. Yeah. Or 32 to match the Pro Display XDR. That would be, I've heard both rumors. That would be really nice, too. It also seems like that's getting close to the upper limit, right? Like, yeah. Because in theory, if you have a huge desk, sure, a 50-inch display, there are some people who love a setup like that, or people with two 30-inch displays, and they have a, effectively a 60-inch effective two-display thing. Wouldn't it be great if there was one unified 60-inch iMac display. In theory, that's fine, but it's. I think it's too niche uh, uh, that, to dream that they would actually sell something like that as an iMac. Um, but it does seem like 27-inch is sort of dated as the big size. Yes. Yeah. Especially like... I tend to think, you know, they, they haven't done this recently, but previously Apple would make the iMac panel and the the cinema display panel the same. You know, you could just choose which one you wanted to get. And obviously, they haven't continued the cinema display series. And the pro display is, I think you famously called it 6K for 6K, <laughs> uh, which is a lot. Uh, but just ha- having an iMac that size with like a, a proper mini LED display, if they can do it at that scale, yet, I think that's a significant, especially if it gets that redesign, that's a significant upgrade for them. And that I, industrial design is so long in the tooth now. Like it still looks good, but the bezels are big. It's got that pregnant bump yeah. on the back, and it hasn't been updated in years. It, it you could get uh, M1 performance out of a totally flat display, clearly, right? Yes. It's, there's no reason for any kind of bump in the back anymore. And if it, quote-unquote, only performs as well as the existing M1 Max, that's great. I mean, and it's it. there are some pro needs from the iMac Pro, you know, that it would require like an M1X or something, but clearly the... the the thermals are there. And the iMac Pro showed Apple's prowess at thermal design anyway, you know, that that they could yes. run these Xeon chips in a totally silent form factor or nearly silent form factor. Um, so I, I'm excited to see it. I, I, uh, I don't feel it in my gut for April. It feels to me like... Oh, just feels in my gut like they'll just spend a big chunk of the WWDC keynote bragging about what a great success the initial Apple Silicon Macs were, how great it was that developed, you know, a year ago we announced this. You guys, you developers did a fantastic job updating all of your apps and being ready. And we and launched the first series of M1 Macs in November and they've been you know, here here's a quote from Joanna Stern at the Wall Street Journal. Yeah, and uh, what a great success! Customers love them, and you yes. know, here's pictures of people loving industry leading power right. per watts, <laughs> right? And battery life, and blah blah blah. Now we're ready for the next step, and the next step, and you know, just do a big announcement and announce Pro MacBooks. 
And again, I know that there's a 13-inch MacBook Pro with the M1, but do the one with four ports and that supports as many displays as you can fit on a desk. Do the 16-inch yeah. MacBook Pro. Have an iMac story and talk about how the, the iMac now is a totally credible pro level, thanks to the M1 Pro desktop. And maybe, maybe even, I mean, the only other Mac that's left is the Mac Pro but do it all yeah. at once, right? So what's left? There's there's uh, the Pro-level 13-inch MacBook Pro with four ports and, yeah. and higher specs. Yeah. The entire 16-inch MacBook Pro. Uh, yeah. pro- possibly this, the 13-inch would go to 14 inches, right? And yes. that it would be more of a bezel-to-bezel, you know, where the footprint doesn't grow, but the same way without growing the footprint of they the device. They snap the bezels. Right. Um, yeah. Maybe an exciting new design, new colors for them. Who knows? iMac obviously had to, you know, f- from one end of the spectrum to the other, still hasn't been touched. Uh, and the Mac Pro, maybe an M1 Mac Mini, like an M1X Mac Mini, because yeah. they, they reintroduced the silver version, and it feels like the Pro version. Well, the Pro version is still Intel, right? And they could do like with the, the same chip that goes in the 16-inch MacBook Pro could go in there. Right, and that's the same sort of situation with the quote-unquote 13-inch MacBook Pro, where there are Pro ones and non-Pro ones, right? With yeah. more ports and the capability to drive more, uh, bigger and more displays, etc. Yeah. Um, I, you know, is it is it too what much? What do you think about the colors on the iMac? Because that, that was a weird rumor to me. Not that they haven't made colored iMacs before, but... Like in the modern era, just having to manage supply chain and you know how many weeks of inventory on like a pink or a sky blue iMac, it's interesting to me. Yeah, I say why not though, right? And I, I don't know. I, I I would like to see them do something like that. It's it seems like it's been a little bit too boring for too long that you yes. can, you can get your iMac in one color and one color color only, and that's aluminum. And I know the iMac Pro had the darker color, but again, only one choice. So I well, kind of sure leaned- with me that it was one of the briefings that we were at, and I was just like, "Why can't we get the big stuff in in rose gold?" And they were like, "It's too big. It's too much rose gold." Yeah. And I said, "I'm gonna I'm gonna file a radar asking for this rose gold." Uh, I just don't know if the actual rumored colors, which the rumors seem to be doing it all, sort of like um, the iPads are colored, yeah, exactly, where they're all sort of muted light colors, like. I don't know. Why not do the iMac ones in very bold colors, right? I mean, that's... Like the iPhone 12. Right. Do it like iPhone 12 style where there's a black yeah. one and it is black. And do one where it's product red and it is just a big, bright red iMac. And if there's no bezel on the front, the red wouldn't distract you from the display. It would only be something you see at the base and from the back. I think some people would love that. Yeah. Yeah, like the old product red uh, iPhones when they were still aluminum. Just that right. look was so good. Right. If they get rid of that chin, which I would expect that they could and and would like to do, and so that you really just see your iMac from facing it is really just a display that goes as close as practical to edge to edge. I think that opens up the door to bolder colors that would be distracting yeah. if you saw a big strip of it as a chin at the bottom of the display. Uh, you know, do do a vibrant blue iphone 12 blue style blue imac i I, that's to me would be the way to go i think the muted ones that just sort of look like aluminum but like dip you know like an easter egg into a dip and it's got like a pink tint Uh, 
Yeah, I mean, give us give us blue Dalmatian and flower power, you cowards. Right. Yeah, how about this? Make a black MacBook Pro or nearly black, yes. right? Space gray, yep. like not space gray. I'm talking not like black. you know, black black, like iPhone seven black. Yeah, people would go nuts for that. I think because yeah. I think we've had you know the same sort of very narrow range of aluminumish colors. You know, I mean, I know that was one of the jokes in the Justin Long IBM ad, but it's like, you know, it is, you get like, you can have gray or you can have gray or gray. Yeah, (laughs) no, it's, it's absolutely true. And they, you know, what has Apple said about promising Apple Silicon? They've said they're going to finish the transition this year. They're very good. Two years. So they have until dub dub next, next June. The Mac Pro would be the one that you would expect might take the longest. I mean, it's a nichest yes. product. Uh, and there were some leaks about them doing a spec bump. Like there was some, I forget what it was, but like the latest NVIDIA cars, right. Navi 2, and I think some more recent Xeons showed up. But after those commercials, I just think Apple probably lost all their taste for Intel spec bumps. But, uh, you know, there are people who need the big things. I don't know. It it seems like too much to ask for them to announce all of the remaining Apple Silicon Macs at WWDC, but maybe some of them are just pre-announcements, right? And and I kind of feel that the initial promise from a year ago of we're going to finish this in two years was giving themselves an awful lot of ability to under-promise and over-deliver. Steve Jobs thing, right? Right. Power PC. He said two years and finished it in a year. Right. And this transition, I know, I've... I know that there's a bunch of people at Apple who have been there. You know, they have so little turnover overall for a tech company, and that there were people working on this transition who were there for the PowerPC to Intel transition. Yes. And in, I would say, so far in every way, it's been even better. And that transition went very smoothly. But you know, yeah. the first machines are even better. The OS transition was as seamless as you could hope. Uh, so I would anticipate, I, I, I'm optimistic. I'm bullish on them being pretty aggressive at just saying, okay, we're out, we're done with Intel. And I just don't think they and have any taste. Like, I, they have no taste for those Intel machines. They they don't yeah. care for them. No, I think you're totally right. And I think exactly what you said about the iMac, where the thermal envelope can be so much smaller for Apple Silicon will apply to the Mac Pro as well. And either you'll get so much more space for whatever they make, the, whatever, however they continue the modularity, like with MX right. cards or whatever right. they do there, or you'll just have a smaller case and be able to take out that giant Xeon chip in its heatsink, that giant AMD GPU, it's multi-layers. You know, there'd be yeah. so much more room for them to do interesting things. Yeah, so I just, it just feels like the whole thing fits better at WWDC and then they can have some of them ready to go, like they're going to go on sale tomorrow or go on sale later this month. And some of them maybe are coming later this year. I don't know. Yeah, I, like an October Mac event if they go back to tradition. Yeah, or, you know, I, I don't know. I just feel like it doesn't feel like an April thing to me. I, I'm, I'm, I'd be yeah, pleasantly same. surprised, but I just don't expect Macs this month. Yeah, no, totally the same. And, and I want them as soon as, like, again, as soon as inhumanly possible. Right. But I think you're right. <laughs> I, just, I just feel like they're, they they got off to such a good start, and it still gives them runway, and it, it, it all fits to put together better at WWDC. Here's, a, here's an idea. I have not heard rumors about this. Maybe there are. I don't stay up on them all. But there's a missing Mac in the lineup, and that yes. is the two-pound MacBook. 
like the MacBook Air is 2.8 pounds, I think, and the MacBook 13-inch MacBook Pro is 3 pounds. There's a lot of PC laptops that are about 2 pounds. I forget how much the no-adjective Apple MacBook that they've, you know, the adorable one-port thing. Yes. But something that... MacBook nothing. Something that makes the MacBook Air look thick and heavy. Yes. Well, there's there's a couple rumors for a couple of missing Macs. There's a rumor that there'll be a G4 Lite cube for either a Mac Mini Pro or a Mac right. Pro Mini. And then there's rumors that there'll be an M2, a next-generation MacBook Air that'll slim it down even more, down to something closer to what the 12-inch MacBook, maybe still with a 13-inch screen, because maybe they can fit it in with zero bezels, or maybe you know it's still 12-inch, but it'll be the higher, like the the current MacBook Air will be the $999 one, right. and then this will be the higher-end version of the Air with the new design and everything. Yeah, I wonder though, I, and and who knows? I mean, because the names are the sort of thing that that leak the least. Um, yeah. And maybe it's the same device, right? And people are thinking it might be a MacBook Air. It might be the iconic wedge shape, but they wouldn't call it the MacBook Air. I don't know. And they'll, bring, they'll call it MacBook Stealth again, and everyone will lose their minds. I, I, I don't know. I it, maybe it was wishful thinking, but I just, uh, I don't know. There was something to the fact that they called the MacBook just the MacBook that just said to me, "This is what yeah. they think a MacBook should be," and it was so constrained performance wise. And the one port idea played out so poorly in practice. And the pricing never could go down. Like right. They never managed to reduce the cost enough to get it down to a, a reasonable price. Right. But it's, you know, there are definitely PCs out there that are significantly lighter in weight. I mean, two. I just was reading a Verge story about a, a new ThinkPad, and it's 2.0 pounds. And that, that is significantly less than a MacBook Air. Or the LG Gram, which have, which are much much lighter than the their MacBook counterparts. Mm. Yes, and it's weird. There's no MacBook. Like there's an iPad, there's an Apple Watch, there's an iPhone, yep. and there's no MacBook. And I realize part of that is the success of the MacBook Air branding because it came to mean both light and inexpensive, and that leaves very little wiggle room for a MacBook nothing. But it feels like at some point you got to force that back into the brand. Yeah. So I, you know, you know, and they're, they're, they've been known to do that and just sort of. You know, iBook has been like six different things. Yes. I don't know. I, I wouldn't be surprised if that's the thing. But it just feels like, man, that is something that they, uh, like, if they were willing to do it with Intel Atom processors, why in the world wouldn't they do it with M1 processors that we know can run in the, the thermal envelope? Because they run in our friggin' iPhones. So Yes, absolutely. I, I, I know there's no, like, rampant rumors that such a thing is coming or slated, but it just feels like they have to, they have to be thinking about it, you know? And, they could, even do, well, and they, <laughs> they could even do a good keyboard where the keys travel because they have so much room inside. The A14X is going to run in the 11-inch iPad. I mean, that's much more constrained right. than any MacBook would be. Right. So, I don't know. That would be on my list. But, again, I don't yeah. expect it this week. All right. Here's on my list. Uh, iOS... Not a hardware announcement, but devoting some segment of the show to iOS 14.5. I think – I I said this to you in chat the other day when we were setting up doing the show. It just popped into my mind. I've been running iOS 14.5 since the first beta because I wanted to try the mask thing. I mean, I've been known to run the betas anyway, but – but I, I put it, the betas on my Apple Watch and my phone so that I could try the unlock your phone while wearing your Apple Watch if you have a face mask yeah. on. And I wrote about it. And I, again, you can't encur- I can't encourage people to install beta OSs on their devices. But 
this is a super stable OS. There, there is, I, I've yeah. been running the beta since the beginning and I think I had like one bug in one, like the second beta, there was a weird thing that was clearly an OS bug. But on the whole, it's clearly as stable as release versions of iOS. Um, the mask thing is a game-changing feature. It, it's truly yep. phenomenal. It's, it, I, I, I don't, I know some people are going to say finally. It's probably it's probably going to be the most finally thing in all of the news when iOS 14.5 comes out. But it is a great feature. I don't think it was easy because I don't think I think it's so contrary to the way the ML models were trained on people's faces. Well, it's non-trivial because the watch the the phone unlocks the watch right. and so there's so much room for potential exploits and they thought about it so carefully like it's even if if you unlock with your watch and then someone takes your phone and leaves I forget what it is like 100 it's, it's several meters it'll lock again yeah. because they're assuming someone's grabbed your phone and right. tried to get away with like there's so many edge cases that they thought yeah. out that it's it's a really smart implementation. Yeah. So it's it's been great overall and and but I feel like you know the aspect they're gonna they don't want to spend too much time. I don't even know if they'll mention the mask thing. Although I think they should because I think it's a great way to get people to upgrade their OS. You know, maybe the next best thing since adding new emoji. Um, but I'll have to demonstrate Find My. Like if if those air tags come out, they'd have to do it. Like yeah. Craig will have to come up and explain Find My network and the privacy policies and everything. Yeah. But I think that they're holding the release of the OS. I mean, who knows? Again, this could be the thing where this whole segment of the show is ruined because it'll come out tomorrow. <laughs> but I think yes. they're holding it for the event so that they can, and they'll say it's you know it's going to be available an hour after the event, you know, at one o'clock Eastern time or whatever. It's available today. It's going to be ready. It, the OS seems so ready. But I think they want to explain all this ad privacy stuff and do it their way. Because this is clearly the most controversial thing Apple is involved with at the moment. Is yeah. their conflict with Facebook very explicitly and the tracking ad industry as a whole. I think Apple wants to talk about this. And say how, yeah, no, you know, put their spin on what this means when you upgrade to this OS and get asked, would you like to allow Facebook to track you in the background? Did I give you did I give you my quick rundown on, on privacy policies yet? I'm not sure if I did. I don't think so. But I have an analogy for this where Apple is basically like going to a fancy restaurant, like a four, like three-star Michelin restaurant. It's an expensive meal, but it's usually a really good meal. Like they'll sell you a shiny box, but then you... You, you pay your own way and you're out of there. Google is like being bought a lobster dinner. You get it for free, but they spend the whole time leering at you. And you've got to decide what it's worth for you to put out you know, for that dinner. And then Facebook just feels like it's a buffet, but you have to eat it while you're naked and being probed. And these are entirely different, like, and diff different people will have different limits for all of these things. But I think as we learn more and more about what they take in exchange for what they give, and they, we'll all have our own comfort levels with those and things. And they start you with a, like a mild roofie so that you don't, yes. you don't mind the probing. <laughs> yeah, but that, that, that's literally how their business models are working. And I think we're just learning things like what Apple's doing with the privacy policies. And when you see the reaction of people like Mark Zuckerberg, who still has complete first party access to all of our data, right. you know, how angry they get about it. I think it's, it's more telling than just what Apple's doing. Yeah, I just think that they want to sell it. I, I think they want to pitch it. And it just in Apple's mind, and they could release it first and then talk about it. But that's just not Apple style to say like, hey, this yeah. OS that's been out for a week, we'd like to tell you about it. Uh, 
you know, they want to tell you about it, get you excited about it, and then tell you you can download it later today. That's that's just the Apple style, whether it was ready or not engineering-wise. And it also sort of fits with the, uh, you know, the, more than a rumor, but the, the word that Apple's original date for this event was March 23rd, you know, which I've heard from people not even at Apple, but people at a company that might be demoing something at the event sort of thing or have have something that they are supposed to have ready the day that Apple has an event, that March 23rd was maybe not planned and canceled or postponed, but like maybe like the original soft deadline. iOS 14.5 seems like it could have been released by that date, in my opinion. Yeah just sort of fits with that. And yeah. it's like, for whatever other reasons, they might have pushed back the date two weeks or a week or three weeks or whatever it winds up being. iOS 14 wasn't the reason, or 14.5. Yeah. Uh, yeah, well, it feels like those dates were like echoes of early planning, you know, just what, what potential dates could we have? Right. And then as different products lined up, like we talked about this before, but like an Apple event is basically shooting arrows at other arrows and hoping they all hit each other and then hit the target. Oh, right. So there's lots of core. Well, say everybody who's ever worked with anything with deadlines knows that if the best, if you really, really, really want to make sure that in the worst possible case, you uh, ship something by April 14th, a good way to do that is to shoot for March 23rd. Yes. <laughs> yes. It's just the way deadlines work and it's certainly the way they might work even worse than usual with all the remote work and everything else that's going on uh, all right let me take a break here and thank our third and final sponsor good friends of the show squarespace look if you're listening to this show i'll bet you know how to build a website yourself i'll bet you know a bunch of frameworks you could use things you could install you probably know how to run uh, ssh and you could do stuff the manual way. Uh, I suggest the next time you need to build a website for yourself, but especially when a friend or family or somebody you know comes to you and says, hey, I need a website for blank, start at Squarespace and do it the Squarespace way, where you do it all in the Squarespace website itself. And you go there and you can do everything from registering domain to configuring the way it looks, to looking at your analytics, to picking which components you want to add to your website, image carousels and portfolios or a store where you can sell something. And all of the e-commerce stuff is all goes through Squarespace automatically. Try it at Squarespace and you get 30 days free and there's no limits. It's not like watermarked, like this is a free site that's set up in Square. It's all real. You get 30 days free to try it, set it up, use it, put it out in the real world. And then after the 30-day free trial, that's when you need to pay. And that's the time to remember the URL, squarespace.com slash talk show, because that's how they know you came from the show. That same code talk show. No the, just T-A-L-K-S-H-O-W. Gets you 10% off your first order and Squarespace lets you prepay for up to your entire first year. You can save 10% off your entire first year just by using that code, talk show. Remember it for your own needs next time you need a website and definitely remember it next time someone comes to you for help setting up their new website. Uh, That's it for my maybes for April. Do you have anything else that might come out 
in a week, two weeks. No, I think like there were there were early rumors of an, of an iPhone SE Plus, but those have sort of evaporated over time. Right. And while an iPhone SE is typically a spring product for Apple, it, it just doesn't sound like it's imminent at this point. Yeah, I think the idea. So the idea was the SE was taking like a two or three year old phone, keeping the hardware, yeah. and putting an up to date chip in it to give it let give that. Uh, form factor legs for years to come. And the the new SE, the current one, that's what they did with the iPhone 8. They took an iPhone 8, yes, updated it to the A13 and was that right, A13? Yeah, mm-hmm. and you know, now it's it's a product with a home button and a familiar form factor that will be more than usable for years to come at a low price point. For people who are either A, just want to get the cheapest possible iPhone that Apple sells that's new, or B, uh, are like my mom and really, really, really just wanted one that worked the way her previous iPhone did yes. because that's, you know, it's just how she is. And it's like, I know my mom is a very smart woman and she could easily figure out how to use a Face ID iPhone. And if that's what's what she had to do, it, she'd figure it out just as fast as anybody else. But she did not want it. And I, I didn't need the grief. So we got her the new iPhone SE and she loves it. The missing idea would be that, they, hey, there was the 8 Plus. Why not make an iPhone SE Plus that just looks exactly like the iPhone 8 Plus and sell it for 50 bucks more or whatever? Seems plausible, you know, seems possible. I, I, it, there's more than enough rumors about it that it certainly seems like Apple kicked it around. I think their reluctance to do it, though, is that they sort of have a thing going on where if you really do want a big, physically big iPhone, you pay a premium. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Well, that was the other part of the rumor. Like one of the rumors was it would actually be an iPhone 8 Plus that was tricked out. But then the other rumor, which also seems to evaporate, is that it was more geared towards other markets and it would be something akin to an iPhone uh, 10R iPhone 11 design, but instead of putting a more expensive Face ID module in it, they would just use the, the uh, power button fingerprint reader from right. from the iPad Air, and it would be like a, a first, well, I guess, another attempt at an entry level, a sort of modern iPhone. Uh, that seems plausible to me, but if they're like sort of backed away from it, maybe it's that the iPhone SE is selling so well that they're like, we don't, you know, we don't need to go there. It would just keep, you know, the SE is yeah. good. We're good for another year with the SE as it is, you know, keep it simple. Yeah, it doesn't seem like that. that's much rumored. It seems like whatever the idea there is, no, not happening. Yeah. What else is going on for the rest of the year? I don't want to spend too much time speculating about iPhones, iPhone 13 in the fall. There's the, yeah. the German story, though, which is I thought was really interesting. Mark Gurman had a report that Apple's working on a, or considering strongly considering a more rugged Apple Watch that internally they're yeah. calling the Explorer Edition. And it would be sort of, uh, you know, he had no details about its design, but think, you know, he mentioned the Casio G-Shock watches, um, which are truly, truly meant to be very durable. Like, uh, I always remember, yes. I, it's one of those commercials that's just burned in my brain where they, the original 1983 G-Shock, they strapped around a hockey puck and showed a guy slap-shotting into a net. Like, pretty, you know, pretty rugged. I mean, you certainly wouldn't do that at, with an Apple Watch, as is. Um, I think this is a great idea, and I think that it would sell very well. I think it would expand the market for Apple Watch, 
Um, cause I just think, and I, and I think it would sell a lot to people who aren't doing particularly rugged things. You know, like if, let's say you're a rock climber, well, you, you would love to have this watch, right? Because the glass and sapphire of the existing models is not good for smashing against rocks. Uh, also, people who work construction right. or any sort of job that has high impact. And that's one of the things that Apple does is that they start to look at the next adjacent market that they can move into. Like it's like one step from what they do now. And there are people who are excursionists or adventurers or do extreme sports or work in construction, those sorts of things. And it, it's taking everything that people already like about it and just taking it that one step sideways yep. that increases their market. I think it's really smart. Yeah, construction is a great market, right? And it's uh, hopefully booming, you know, as the economy recovers. Yep. It's, you know, just a huge number of people work in construction and uh, wearing a glass-faced watch is just not a great idea. Uh, it, you know. Um, Law enforcement, military. I mean, there's just so many applications. Right, and I, you know, it's, I think it's really and I think good. I really think a lot of people, it's the same thing with people who put their iPhones in, not just cases, which we know most people do, but like those OtterBox-style cases that are really yes. thick and very super protective. Um, uh, you know, my mother-in-law uses one of those, and she has no real practical need for it. She just feels better. She feels like her, you know, whatever, $600, whatever her iPhone costs. That's way too much money to spend on a thing with what looks like a delicate screen. And, you know, it, it makes, it, she would be, she, she would, she would not enjoy owning a phone if she just had it in a lesser case. Some people feel like that. It's, you know, probably people who are a lot more sensible with their money than I am. <laughs> uh, but also, like, G-Shock has almost like a cult-like yep. following. Like, it, it is something that people have a high affinity and, you know, nostalgia for. And I could see people having sort of the same reaction to this. I, and I'm it's also the sort of thing where Apple Watch... It, so an iPhone is amenable to being encased in a very durable, yeah. protective case. And I'm sure that if Apple built, you know, in, in John Syracuse's ideal world where there's way more, you know, they expand way more... Uh, into other product ideas. If Apple built an iPhone designed to be like rugged, like what's the Panasonic brand for laptops that are used like on construction? The tough yeah, book. the Toughbook, right? The Panasonic uh, has a longstanding successful line of laptops that are meant to be used like on a construction site and have dust just all over them and be dropped and stuff like that. Um, if Apple designed an iPhone to be used in circumstances like that without a putting it in a case of some sort, some people would buy it. I'm just, I would just be curious to see what it would look like, right? Like what would their ideas yeah. for that be? But you can put an iPhone in a durable case. You can easily, schools, every school with iPads does it. They put iPads into durable cases. The design of Apple Watch is such that I know some people sell things that you can use to sort of, sim, yeah. but it's just the way you put bands on and the way it sits on your wrist. Like it's nothing, it's nowhere near as cool and as low profile on your wrist as something like a G-Shock where it's built into the construction of the case itself. Yeah. Um, I, I don't know. I, I, it, and you know, German's report wasn't very clear. It seemed like it was a maybe for this year though. I don't know. Yeah, it, he's he's been throwing like he also threw out the idea of HomePods with displays on them, almost like as a one liner in another yeah. story. So it, it could just be things that he's right. hearing, but that aren't big enough really for 
for full fleshed out stories. Yeah. Yeah. I think the watch, Apple Watch, I'm calling it Apple Watch Sport to reuse the yeah. name. I don't think, I know he said that internally they're calling it the Explorer Edition. I don't think they would ever ship it like that because Rolex famously sells a watch called the Explorer. Um, yeah. And I realize there's only so many words, and I don't think anybody would say they're ripping Rolex off. There'd be no confusing a G-Shock style Apple Watch with a Rolex Explorer. I I, uh, I, I don't know. And they couldn't call it Excursion because of Ford or a Yeah, I don't know. Because, Just call it Sport, Apple yeah. Watch Sport. But I would be excited to see it. I also think that it would, you know, I'm presuming it would be priced commensurate with the current aluminum Apple Watches. It, you know, that it wouldn't be a higher priced product, that it would be, you know, in line with the new this year's model year lower end watches, you know, which I think now start at like yeah. 300 bucks. Is that right? Or are they 400? Something like that. But I think Apple might charge a bit of a, just because, yeah. like, especially in the beginning, they might charge a bit of a premium and, because they think they but can. But if you keep it around for a year though, and then they reduce the price, I, I, you yeah. know, that I'm just going towards saying that for people buying them for their kids, which is definitely a feature Apple yes. is pushing in terms of adding the support for setting up a second iPhone, you know, like yeah, the family. Yeah, setup. the family setup, which they're you know they've made clear is for children and for like older elderly parents, you know, who yeah. may not be able to do it themselves or don't have an iPhone or something like that, you know. And there's all sorts of limits, you know, built in, you know, for like children limiting your kids and like you know being able to set it so they can't screw around with their iPhone while they're in school and stuff like that. I just think that there's an awful lot of parents who would be more if they're on the fence and they're like, maybe I would buy my kid a three hundred dollar ish. Apple Watch, yes, right, and it's like it's something they would think about. I think there's an awful lot of them who could be nudged off the fence into the okay, I'll get it. Let's get it for them if it looked like a G-Shock durability wise, as opposed to yep. looking like Apple Watch does now. And I think Apple Watch is probably more durable at, without any extra protection than most people. Those people might think. I think it's really pretty darn durable. Um, it, it, but it's, you know, it still is a glass screen. And I just think the psychological benefits of having it look like that would push, really help push parents into buying them for their kids. Because the expectation, yeah, totally. the expectation yeah. is that your kid, your your 10-year-old might be over the moon. Ah, an Apple Watch, exactly what I wanted for Christmas. And then they're not going to take any care of it whatsoever or, or be any less yes. reckless on the playground. Or they're just going to be right, a kid. They're going to be yeah. a kid. That's how kids are. And people know their kids and they know they're like that. Uh, I, I just think that, I don't know. I, that was one of the most interesting rumors I've seen. Because I've thought about it before, but then once I read the report, I was like, this is, this is a surefire hit, in my opinion. Yeah, makes the kind of sense that does, totally. Uh, anything else that you wanted to talk about? Uh, I, I, I'm, I'm sort of out. What do you think? Yeah, I think, I think, we, hit, I think we hit all the big, the big notes. Right. Um, what do we want to talk about that you do elsewhere? You've got your YouTube channel. How many... How many Yes, my one-year anniversary. You were kind enough to have me on when I first quit my day job and went indie, and that was a year ago this Thursday, oh, I think. Well, there you go. I didn't even plan it this way, but happy anniversary. <laughs> it's going very well. Indieversary. <laughs> it's going very well. Uh, Thank you. It, I don't know how you publish as many videos as you do. It, it seems uh, mind-boggling to me, but you're, you know, 
I cut down. I cut down recently. I'm trying to do. I'm trying to do. I was doing like four to six, sometimes eight a week, and now I'm trying for like that's three. Crazy. I, the, think I can do two. Or three. Not, I mean, do you sleep? I do, but like I lost. Like I made the choice to lose everything. Like I didn't have a back catalog. I didn't have anything to feed YouTube, and YouTube really works well when you give it a bunch mm-hmm. of data about the kinds of videos you make. So I wanted to build back that back catalog. Oh. You know, it's like if you had to start over with Daring right. Fireball, you'd have to write a lot just to get it into right. Google. <laughs> I get it. I get it. Uh, you are also on uh, MacBreak Weekly. Uh, yes, sir. Uh, people can, uh, you know where to get that. Get it in your favorite podcast app. Yeah. What else? What else do we want to talk about? Uh, that's that's mainly it. I do, a, I do a podcast with Georgia Dow that we talk about psychology of technology, which I always find endlessly fascinating. And uh, I get to do the talk show with you all right. a while, which is always well, helpful. It's always a pleasure. Um, uh, let's see how right we are. <laughs> Hopefully by the time the show yes. comes out, they'll have, a, they'll have an event announced for next week. <laughs> we'll look so smart. Maybe they could wait a day yeah. and then, yeah, and then like people have a record in place. <laughs> It's not like we recorded multiple versions of all the different dates. Please don't start any conspiracy <laughs> theories. All right. Thanks, Renee.